Well, good morning, church, and welcome to week three of our Advent series. You know, we've been, over these past couple weeks, we've been examining some of the stories that are surround the story of Jesus's birth. Like we haven't looked really at the story of Jesus yet. We're going to touch on that on, on Friday, but, but we've looked at some of the stories of some people that surround Jesus's birth. We've a couple weeks ago, Spencer brought us through the story of Joseph. That's Jesus's father. And, uh, last week, Dan brought us through the story of Simeon and Anna who saw the baby 40 days after his birth. They saw him in the temple and they recognized him as the Messiah. And, and this Friday, we're going to be looking specifically at the story of Jesus, the story of his birth and celebrating what, what happened on that day. But but before we get there, I, I, I want to look a little bit ahead in the story to something, to a part of the story that typically, if you look at a nativity scene, you think is all just encompassed in this one gift of like the story of Jesus' birth. Um, but I want to look ahead to, to some characters that we really know very little about, some characters who, who showed up out of nowhere, guided by a star, all to see a young child, the story of the wise men or the magi from the east. It says, Matthew 2, verse 1, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed to start its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. I love that. I just love that some random guys show up. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? And, and the king of Israel is like terrified of a baby. Like no big deal. Um, but they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. Really, he wasn't interested in that. He just wanted to kill the child, but that's later in the story. Um, but when they heard this, they set out and there going before them was, was the star that they'd seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. This is the story of the Magi, the, the story of these wise men from the East, these unknown people from a foreign land who saw a star, who knew what it meant, knew that it meant a Messiah had been born, and they went on a long journey all to find and meet Jesus when he was just a toddler, all to honor him as their king. So what I, what I want to talk to you this morning about is, is about the faith of the Magi. The faith of the Magi. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into your word this morning, God, I pray that we will receive what you have for us, Lord. 
Let this story challenge us and change us and, and push us forward in our faith, God, that we will not leave this place the same, but that we will leave transformed because of the power of your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Story of the Magi, the faith of the Magi. You know, I don't know about you, but I find the story of the Magi to be just one that's so fascinating, just really because of how little we actually know about the story. And, and in fact, a lot of the things that you might think you know about the story are things that don't actually come from scripture, but more so from tradition. You see, if we, re- if we look at that story, what we see in the story is, is we know that there were these wise men. It doesn't say how many. Tradition says there was three, and they have names. I don't remember the names. They're really complicated. But tradition says there was three, but all the scripture tells us is there was more than one. Because wise men, plural. You know, there's more than one. There's at least two wise men. And, and, and the story, but the story doesn't tell us how many there were. And we know that they came from the east. Where? Doesn't say. They followed a star. Why? Again, doesn't say. And... We know that they showed up a little while after Jesus' birth. It's not clear when. We just know that Jesus was under two years old because later on in the story, it says that Herod had asked them when the child was born, and later on they refused to go back to Herod, and then Herod is like, oh no, they double-crossed me. I'm going to go kill every child in Bethlehem, two and under. So we know Jesus was around, under the age of two, but it was long enough after his birth that he was in a house, He was no longer in a manger. He was no longer in the stable. He was in a house. So those nativity scenes you might have up at your house where it's like baby Jesus and his mother and an angel above and then the shepherds and their sheep and the wise men and the three wise men and their camels. Yeah, that didn't happen. Just sorry if I break any uh, expectations here, but but that's not exactly what happened. We just simplify it for for, uh, an ornament. And we know that these wise men, they were directed by a star to the house where Jesus was staying, which I just think is crazy. Because imagine you're just going on vacation, and you're like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to go until that star stops. Like, that's, that's insane. But, but they were directed by a star to where Jesus was staying, and there they gave him gifts. And all that's great, but I don't know about you. When I read the Bible, I tend to ask a lot of questions because I want to understand. I'm very curious and very inquisitive when it comes to the Bible or really any book or any TV show or, or really any, any concept that I find fascinating. I, I'm really curious and I want to understand how it works. And when reading the Bible, that's actually beneficial because if you just read a passage, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. But if you read the passages around it and start to ask questions, you start to explore what the context is and actually understand what's being said. But but, but when I read the Bible or, or explore any topic, I ask basic questions like who, what, when, where, why, and how. For instance, who were these random guys who came to find Jesus? Where did they come from? Why did they come? How did they know about this child that says a star, but how did they know what the star meant? And, and why did they care? And... Most importantly, I'm not a parent, so maybe this changes when you get older and when you have kids, but I just think of the story. Some random guys show up at Mary's door, knock on the door, and she's like, yeah, come on in, see my baby. I'm sorry, what? 
if I were Mary, I would have been like hearing the knock on the door, been like, open the door. Who are you? No, no, let's be real. I would have checked my phone app and been like, I don't recognize these guys. I'm not opening that door. But let's say for argument's sake that, that I do open the door and there's just these three random dudes standing there. Hey, we want to see your toddler. I'm sorry, what? We want to see your toddler and give him gifts of gold and other expensive stuff. Excuse me? <laughs> Who are you? Uh, I'll take the gold. I'll take the other gifts. I'll give them to him. And if you want to see him, check out his Instagram page. It's at Jesus the Messiah. I'll post a really cute picture of him tomorrow. I promise. But you step foot in this house, I'm calling the police. <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Maybe it changes when you're a parent. But I just don't get it. I wouldn't let random people around my child. But what we see here is a story that it's not one that we'd expect. It's not one that makes sense. And it says, verse 1, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Let's pause there for a second. Because in this moment, you know, I said I like to ask questions, who, what, when, where, why, and how. I think in this passage, there are two little tidbits of information that answer two of those questions. First of all, the who and the where. Wise men from the east. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, don't worry. I'll explain it. Um, but, but wise, it says these wise men, magi, that's a specific word, from the east. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you start to flip through the history books and you're a history nerd like I am. Um, but if you start to flip through the history books, you find that there was a period in Israel's history like a couple hundred thousand years, or like a couple hundred or thousand years before Jesus' birth, there's a period in Israel's history where they had been taken and conquered and captured and brought into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. And during this period, the Babylonian Empire, it was this powerful empire until one day it fell due to infighting, and then in came the Persian Empire, and they took over, and Israel's still in captivity under the Persian Empire, and it's just this whole wonderful thing where, where Israel's like, let us be free, and the, there's no freedom for them. But, but during this period, what's fascinating is, is that King, who was it, King Darius, I believe, says that according to history, according to the Persian king, there was one tribe of people in the entire world from which magi, there's that word, could come. One tribe, the Median tribe, in the entire world from which magi should come according to the Persian king. And specifically, magi were priests from within the Median tribe, from within that tribe. They performed religious ceremonies. They performed rituals. They had a reputation for practicing astrology and astronomy and dream interpretation and, and practicing the magic arts. I'm not sure what that means. I don't know if that means like they could cast crazy spells or things like that. I, I really don't understand. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what, exactly what they mean by that. But, but they, they, they were known for being really, really wise for studying wisdom scripture and, 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 and for um, trying to grow in wisdom. And based on the area that this tribe would have lived in, they likely were priests of a foreign religion known as Zoroastrianism. 
It was likely one of the first monotheistic religions. That means a religion with one God. They believed in a God called Ahura Mazda. I have no idea if I said that right. But it was this false religion that grew up in that area of, of Persia, in that area, and still is kind of prevalent in Iran in those areas. But they were likely these priests from within one tribe within the Persian Empire. And and according to history, the Magi were well-respected in Babylon and Persia, so highly respected that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, um, he, he, whenever he would have these crazy dreams, he would call on Magi to come and interpret them. And, and so these Magi would come and they tried to interpret the king's dreams until one day we're told that they failed, and Nebuchadnezzar is like, well, off with their heads. And, and a guy, a Hebrew guy named Daniel comes along and is like, hey, hey, God gave me the answer to your dream. And, and we know Daniel from the aptly named book of the Bible called Daniel. Um, it was very creative. But, but, but this Hebrew man, Daniel, he comes along. He interprets the king's dream. He saves the life of all of these magi who failed. And as such, he is appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar, according to the book of Daniel, he's appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar as the top of all of the wise men, the top of all of the magi. So what we find here is these magi, so they're priests, likely of Zoroastrianism. They study astronomy. They study astrology. They try to grow in wisdom. They are known for interpreting dreams. They're known for being really, really wise. And... This is thousands of years still before Jesus' birth. This guy, this Hebrew guy, comes out of nowhere. He becomes the head over all of them. And because he succeeded where they had failed, they would have considered him to be very, very wise, a powerful prophet, a powerful seer, someone they looked up to. Now, Daniel, he had a lot of really choice words for the Magi. He really didn't like them. Called them things like vipers and serpents and snakes and just all kinds of lovely, uh, lovely little words that he had for them. But they really held him in esteem. They really liked him. And so when Daniel is prophesying in Daniel 9 about the anointed one coming, the anointed one who will come, and he says that this, this anointed one will come 483 years after Jerusalem is rebuilt, which is crazy. I don't know if, I, I don't know if this blows your mind like it did mine, but, but exactly 483 years after Jerusalem was rebuilt, in AD 27, Jesus began his ministry. Just one of those kind of things that you're like, oh my goodness, God, you are crazy. Um, you <laughs> do exactly what you say. But, but when Daniel had been prophesying 483 years later that anointed one would have come, these magi would have been taking notes. They would have been paying attention because they loved wisdom. They loved understanding. They wanted to understand how the world worked. They wanted to grow in wisdom and power. And, and Daniel was the top over them. He was the best among them. So when he prophesied this, they would have been paying attention. So if we fast forward in history to, to the point where Jesus is born, at this point, the Persian Empire has long fallen. Like the actual empire has fallen. There's still a nation called Persia, but it, it, it's long fallen. And, and in its place is this much bigger empire known as the Roman Empire. But still at this point in history, history records that the Magi were well known and honored. 
History records that Roman officials, when a Magi showed up, they received them in honor. There's like, oh, Magi just came into town? Yeah, you're coming to stay with me because I want, to know, I want people to know that you came to my house, that you thought I was important enough to come. They received them in honor as foreign dignitaries, members of the Persian royal court. And, and they were known for their great wisdom and power and as such were accepted and welcomed within Roman society. And then... One day, these, these magi, who had been studying the Jewish scripture, because when Israel was taken to captivity, all their stuff came along with them. So they'd been st- they would have been studying the scripture. They would have been studying the ancient Jewish prophecies. They would have been studying the prophecy of Daniel. They would have been studying the prophecy of, of Balaam about a star rising out of Judah to conquer the neighboring nations. When they read all of these things, um, they, they suddenly they see a star in the heavens. And because of their study, they saw a star and they knew what it meant. They knew it was a sign of the Messiah. And so they believed. You know, I have to wonder how many of us are so invested in scripture that if we'd been there at Jesus's birth, we would have seen the star. We would have known what it meant and we would have believed. Because what's happening here is you have these prophecies, Balaam's prophecy, prophecy from Daniel about the Messiah who's coming. These prophecies, they weren't given to the Magi. They were given to the people of Israel. And these people of Israel, they're looking at the exact same stars as the Magi are. But they missed it. They missed it. And these foreign priests of another religion come along And because they'd been so invested in studying the word, it's because they'd been so invested in understanding the prophecies, they saw a sign and they believe. I I have to wonder how many of us, when God is doing something great in our lives or around us, that we're actually so invested in his word that we can recognize what he's doing. Because, you know, I think we get so often caught up in this idea of, well, I believe in God and I go to church once in a while, so I'm good, right? And it's true because... The Bible tells us that believe and you will be saved. That's the prerequisite. But that's also the bare minimum. Because if, 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 if you just believe, yeah, you'll go to heaven, but you're going to miss out on everything that God is doing in and around you. You want to learn to recognize, to see what God is doing in your life. You need to be invested in his word. You need to be invested in what he's done. You need to be invested in getting his word into your heart. Because, because we, we can't recognize what he's doing if we don't recognize what he has done. And these magi, they see a star, and because they because they had studied, they know what it meant, and they believed. But what's really cool is they just, they weren't content just believing. They actually put their faith into action. You know, it's easy for us to believe in God and see what God's doing and be like, oh, that's cool, God. Yay! That's a great star. Okay, I'm going to go back to Netflix. And then we miss Jesus' birth. It's easy to see what God's doing in our city, in our lives, in our church, in our nation. Be like, oh, good job, God. That's great. I'm just so comfortable. I'm just going to stay right here. And, and, And then we never lift a finger. We never get involved. We're never a part of what God is doing. And, and we never give God opportunity to use us to further, further the kingdom. 
See, God is using Gateway to do great things in the city. We've seen people saved. We've seen people baptized. We've seen people set free. We've seen healings. We've seen restoration. We've seen all of these miracles happen. And even beyond that, we're able to go out. We're able to give. We're able to support. We gave hundreds of pounds of food to Hope Mission just a couple months ago. We gave $3,600 to Kids Cottage last month. This month, we have our toy drive that we're doing. And we have like four giant bins of toys out in the foyer full of toys. And on top of that, we're able to give another $1,000 to Ronald McDonald House. We're able to go out. We're able to serve. And we're doing so much for the kingdom of God. But, but so often, it's easy to see all this and be like, oh, that's good. Thanks, God. Thanks for what you're doing. And then we are content on the sidelines. And you see, the issue with that is that James 2 tells us that faith without works is dead. If you see a brother or sister, and they're naked and lacking daily food, and you go to them and you say, be, keep warm, be well fed, but you don't provide their daily needs, what is the good in that? Her faith, apart from works, is dead. And the Magi, they see a star, and they know what it means because they're steady, but they're not content being on the sidelines of what God is doing. They need to go to see, to interact with the child. And so they set out on this journey. And these magi who likely were traveling from the capital of Persia, based on what we know of them, Babylon, traveled 1,200 kilometers. That's a 40-day journal on, on camel. That's you walking from Edmonton to Winnipeg. No big deal just to follow a star. You know, how many of us would have been willing to do the same just to see Jesus? How many of us are willing to do something crazy just to obey God? Because you know what you're like. I know what I'm like. You're sitting on the bus and you're comfy and old lady comes on the bus and the bus is full and God's like, hey, get up and give her your chair. And you're like, ah. I have 45 more minutes on this bus because these new bus routes are great. <laughs> I'm good. I'm comfy. God, I'm not getting up. Or God's like, hey, hey, instead of buying a latte today, why don't you just give $10 to me? Just $10. You're like, ah, no, God, that's a little too much. But thanks for the reminder about the latte. I'm going to stop at Starbucks after. Or God calls you to pray for a sick coworker, and you're like, oh, God, that's so awkward. Nah, I'm not going to do it. And God's like, well, I was going to use you to heal them. And we believe, but we do not obey. We believe, but we don't put our faith into action. Because, you know, it's easier to be lazy and to just sit on the sidelines to hold on to our time, to hold on to our finances, to hold on to our, our resources. It's easier to just hold on to everything than it is to put faith into action and actually believe in what God is calling us to do, to actually believe that God will be there for us, to actually believe that God is calling us to do something great. It's easier to be lazy than to be a part of what God is doing. But you know, complacency is not how you grow. You can sit on the sideline all you want and, and believe and get into heaven, but if you want God to use you, if you want to be in the purpose that God has for your life, the sideline is not where you grow. 
And then the Bible tells us that they came to Jerusalem asking, where's the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Just one thing to, to note here. Think about this. Uh, again, going back to the three magi thing. Think about this. Three random dudes show up in a town of like 100,000 people. Where's the one who's born king of the Jews? Nobody cares. Like, that's not going to cause a commotion. But we're talking about wise men. Again, don't know how many of them there were. Traveling 1,200 kilometers with very expensive gifts. During a time when banditry and robbery were a great way to make a living. So likely what we're seeing here is these wise men coming with gifts, coming into the city of Jerusalem, likely surrounded by security and servants. They're foreign dignitaries. They are highly honored. They are known and respected within the empire as being very, very wise and dignitaries wanted to have them in their house. And so likely what's happening is this large contingent of men and soldiers and wise men come into Jerusalem and are like, where is the one who's born king of the Jews? And, and I love that it says that King Herod is afraid. Why? Well, at that point in history, there was one king of the Jews and his name was King Herod. He had received that title from the Roman Senate a couple years earlier. But when the wise men came into the city, they weren't asking, where's the king of the Jews? They weren't asking, where's the next king of the Jews? They're asking, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? Now, Herod knew, that's not me. Because he wasn't born king, he was appointed king. Herod knew, that's not my children. Because they aren't being born king, they will be appointed king. He knew at this time that they're talking about one whose authority transcended Rome. The one born king of the Jews, and he was afraid. Now, Herod wasn't a Jew. He was actually just a guy that Rome was like, hey, you control these districts, this area known as Israel. You, you, you deal with them, and, and he'd been appointed king of the Jews. And Herod wasn't a Jew, but he was smart. And so Herod would have learned from the culture around him and understood what was going on in this area and this, this disruption that was happening in the area at this time. And, and Herod would have known that at this time, history records that there was a widespread expectation among the Jewish people of the coming of a great king, a great deliverer. This rumor that Roman historian Suetonius said had actually spread through the Orient. We're not talking like, oh, this spread through Edmonton. We're talking uh, New Brunswick has heard this rumor too. Like, like it's crazy. It says this rumor had spread throughout the Orient that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. And, and another Roman historian Tacticus added on, said it had become a firm persuasion that rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal emperor. And we find, according to the historian Josephus as well, that right around the time of Jesus' birth, the Jews believed that one from their country would soon become ruler of the entire habitable earth, a ruler who would overthrow Rome, overthrow Herod, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, and, 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 and remove, really just remove Herod, get rid of this tyrant 
over Israel. And so Herod, when he hears the wise men asking, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? It's in this context of these rumors that a Messiah is coming and he's going to get rid of Herod. And for Herod, who wanted nothing more than to be famous, who wanted nothing more than to establish a prestigious dynasty to have his children be kings and his children's children be kings and, and just be known throughout history. Herod, at this point, is terrified of this young child because he believed he knew what the child represented. He believed that the child represented the end of his reign. He believed that the child ended, represented the end of his dynasty. And, and this threat was just too much. And, and really what we know now is that all of these rumors were true. That Jesus was coming to establish a kingdom that would cover the whole world. But it wasn't an earthly kingdom. He wasn't coming to overthrow Rome. He was coming to overthrow a spiritual kingdom. And to establish the kingdom of God in this world. But, but Herod didn't know this. And he thought, this Messiah comes, I'm done. Because these wise men weren't simply looking for a king. They were looking for the one who had been prophesied to come. The one who would bring an end to the Old Testament system. And establish a new covenant with the, pe- with the people of God. And usher in this new kingdom. They were looking for Jesus. And they had studied the scriptures. So when they saw a star, they knew what it meant and they believed. And then they weren't content just sitting on the sidelines, just chatting about this great king. They traveled 1,200 kilometers to meet him. You know, I have to wonder how many of us would have done what the wise men did. How many of us are so in love with God that we're actually studying his word? That we're actually paying attention to what he's doing in the world, what he has done in the world before? How many of us, when we hear God calling us to do something, we, we actually obey when he calls us to, to leave the job that he's calling you out of? We're like, okay, I'm going to do it. Even though it's going to be tough, I'm going to do it. When he calls you to marry the girl that you're like, ah, what if, what if it goes bad? And it's just like, trust me. You actually are willing to trust him in that. When, when, when he calls you to go and be generous to, to friends and people in need, how many of us, when he calls us to do something, are actually willing to listen? How many of us, if we had been there at Jesus' birth, would know to recognize the star as a sign of Jesus and would have traveled 1,200 kilometers just to meet him? See, what what we see the Magi doing here is simply astounding. They had faith in a God they didn't follow. So they followed a star to worship him. And the story goes on, verse 7, it tells us that Herod, he, he calls the wise men and he learns from them when the child, when the star first appeared. This gives him context for when he goes to kill all the children in Bethlehem. But fortunately, an angel comes to, to Joseph and, and they flee to Egypt before this time. And Herod calls the wise men, he learns from them when the child had been born. He sends the wise men to Bethlehem saying, like, go worship him and then bring me word and and the wise men go, and, and a star leads them to Jesus' house. And it says, when they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy on entering the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. This young child, this one who wouldn't look like a king, wouldn't look special, wouldn't be dressed in royal purple robes and wearing a crown and having authority. This, this young 
child that came and they recognized who he was, so they worshiped him. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, what we see here in this moment is a group of people, the Magi, who had studied the scripture, so they knew to expect a savior. And they weren't just content sitting on the sidelines. They, or, 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 they weren't just content just owning the scripture. And they weren't just content having the Bible sitting on their nightstand table that they never opened. They studied them. And then they saw a sign, the star, that Jesus had come. And that was all they needed to believe. They studied the scripture, they saw a star, they believed, and so they went. They traveled a great distance to see the one they looked for. A long way to pay homage. They weren't content just believing. They wanted to see and to honor the child, to put their faith into action when all they knew was a star. And finally, they brought him gifts. They selflessly gave what they had to honor the king. Because they didn't want to just show up and say, hey, we believe in you. It's great to see you, Jesus. They wanted to honor him. They wanted to say, like, we know who you are. You are the king. You are the one to come. We honor him. This is before Jesus had been recognized by anyone apart from his family, apart from Simeon and Anna in the temple. Before Jesus had done anything crazy, before he had turned water into wine, before he had raised Lazarus from the dead, before he had opened blind eyes, before he had multiplied food, um, bread uh, multiple times, before he had walked on water, before, before all of the miracles that he did, before he died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the grave, before any of that, these, these wise men saw a sign that the Savior had come. And so they believed, they acted on it, and they gave to honor him. You know, that, that's faith. That's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the confidence in things not seen and the assurance in things hoped for. Got that backwards. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is choosing to believe in God, choosing to, to believe the Son of God came and died so that you might have life. Faith is, is the belief in something that doesn't make sense, that society disagrees with, that society says is stupid. It's choosing to believe in something that you can't see proof for. But faith without works is dead. You see, Faith, a part of faith is also choosing to act on your faith. Choosing to trust God when he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Choosing to trust God if he calls you to go to a foreign country and preach the gospel. Choosing to obey God when he calls you to give. To put him first in your life above all things. Above money, above family, above work. And choosing to obey and honor and trust God no matter what. So as we close now and as the band comes out this Christmas season, with all the stresses around it and all of the unexpected stories and things that we might encounter, all of the unexpected things and problems that might arise, 
what I want to challenge you with this morning is really, really simple. Will you trust God no matter what? Will you have faith like the Magi? Will you invest in God's word? Get it into your heart and learn to see the world from his perspective? Will you invest in his words so that you can learn to recognize his voice? You can learn to recognize what he's doing in your life and around you. And trust him in that. Will you obey him when he calls you to do something? Will you do whatever you can to seek him out and to pursue what he's doing in the world and to pursue the purpose that he's given you? Because I believe that he didn't just create 5,000 people and then one of them had a purpose. He gave everyone a purpose. You all have a purpose for being on this world and he is calling you back to that purpose. And will you selflessly give to him? And I'm not just saying that to be like, hey, give me your money. No, 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 no. Whether that's to the church, whether that's to another organization in the city that's doing great work, whether that's to a nonprofit across the globe, it doesn't matter. Will you selflessly give to him and say, God, I trust you. I trust that you will make the 90% enough and I will give you the 10% because I know you're God and you can provide. Will you give to charities, to your friends, to your time, of your energy, of your finances, just to honor God as your king. When life is difficult and you're full of doubt, will you have enough faith to see a star, to follow that star, and to believe that no matter where that star leads you, God will work it all out for your good. Because you see, at, the, at its core, this is the story of the Magi. This is the faith of the Magi. And I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to have, to live out of a life of faith. Faith, to have faith that's similar to the Magi, to imitate what we see from the Magi. So this Christmas season, I just want to encourage you in this. Trust God no matter what and put him first in your life before everything else pursue a relationship with him get into his word listen to his voice obey his voice get into the purpose he has for you and and be a part of what he's doing in this world let's stand together and pray Father God, I thank you for this example that you've given us in the Magi. The story that we see of these foreign priests of another God who saw a sign and believed in God. I just pray that you will give us the strength to have faith like the Magi. That even when life is tough or even when we're distracted or even when we're struggling or even when we have doubts, God, that that we will continue to have faith like the Magi. Help us to pursue a relationship with you to get your word into our hearts. Help us to listen to your voice and obey it when we hear it. 
And help us to do whatever we can to honor you as our king, to put you first before everything else in life, God, that that we won't live a life where the world dictates us, tells us how to feel or what to think or when to be afraid or what we need to buy. But God, whenever those storms come against us, that we will have faith and we'll turn to you and say, God, what, Jesus, what are you doing? Show me the way out of the storm. I pray this in your name. Amen.